Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Doc Exchange, a real stories podcast in partnership with the Grierson Trust. This is a brand new podcast that asks nonfiction filmmakers about the documentaries that have had a lasting impact on their lives and careers. I'm your host, June Jennings. I'm a writer and journalist based in New York and currently serve as the Engagement and Partnerships Manager for Field of Vision, an award-winning filmmaker-driven documentary unit. Every week, I'll ask a new filmmaker or filmmaking team about three documentaries connected by a single theme that have made a meaningful impression on their work and life. This week, we're joined by filmmaking and life partners, Bonnie Cohen and John Shank, the co-directors of Athlete A. Now available on Netflix, Athlete A tells the story of the tireless investigative reporters and brave gymnasts who together helped send Larry Nassar to prison and expose the decades-long abusive culture of USA Gymnastics. Bonnie Cohen is an award-winning director, producer, and co-founder of the Catapult Film Fund, which supports the development of documentary films with funds and mentorship. Her work as producer and director on The Rape of Europa earned her PGA and WGA award nominations, and the film was shortlisted for the Oscars. John Shank is an Emmy-winning documentary filmmaker and cinematographer who's worked on dozens of documentaries for PBS, BBC, and National Geographic, among many others. Together, Bonnie and John co-directed an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power, which was selected to be the opening night film of the 2017 Sundance Film Festival, shortlisted for the 2018 Oscars, and nominated for a 2018 BAFTA for Best Documentary. In 2016, they also co-directed the Peabody Award-winning film, Audrey and Daisy, which premiered in competition at the 2016 Sundance Film Festival and was later picked up as a Netflix original. Bonnie also served as producer on The Island President, which was directed by John and won the award for Best Documentary at the Toronto International Film Festival. It was a real joy to speak with them and such a privilege to hear them talk about their filmmaking process for Athlete A and how they structured and explored such a difficult subject with nuance and empathy. But before we start, I want to let you know that this means we do touch on sexual abuse of children and cultures of abuse in this episode. And while we don't discuss these in detail, some listeners may find this episode upsetting or disturbing. Let's check out that interview. Bonnie and John, welcome to the Doc Exchange. It's really great to have you with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So before we get into your documentary picks for today, I just want to get a sense of what led you to this particular moment of directing and producing films like Athlete A. Big question. I like it. Well, Bonnie and I actually met in film school. We both decided to go back and get our master's in documentary filmmaking in the early mid-90s. And Bonnie was a second year student when I arrived. And we really started working together almost right away because Bonnie was on the set of one of my earliest films I did in school. And I, I was in Bonnie's editing room when she was making her thesis film. 
we went away and kind of did our own things for a few years after film school, but eventually came back together to make a company and make films together. Another interesting point just this year is we were also in school with Nicole Noonan, one of the co-directors of Crip Camp. She and I lived together throughout film school and we worked together. We made, the three of us made The Rape of Europa together years ago. So that's kind of cool to be yeah. on the circuit this year together. We've been making films for a long time now. And it's funny when we try and think about, we've talked a lot about kind of the course of the films, you know, how did they come mm -hmm. to be and why the choices we've made. And when we try and think about it more holistically, I think at least want to be able to say about our films and how we feel about our films is that they share kind of like a deep dive into some kind of Social issue, usually, that's in the zeitgeist, along with a very strong character, a series of characters where we're exploring sort mm -hmm. of their deeper humanity. And that's what's really important to us, to make those connections. Nicole is actually on the podcast, so we're able to kind of have like a conversation about the other films that you've worked on. So it's one big happy doc family. Love it. That's yeah. great. So all three of your picks seem to focus on some sort of battle or struggle. And I'm wondering if that's something that's united them for you, or if there's another theme you noticed throughout. Bonnie and I, when we were choosing the films, I think we were thinking about films, of course, that we just loved. And it, sometimes it's hard to put your finger on exactly why you love a film, other than it just kind of takes you away and transports you and makes you think about the world in a different way and enriches your life. And they all, of course, did that. But I think also we are drawn to character, as Bonnie was saying. And I think we're also drawn to the craft, feeling like you're in the hands of a director that is confidently taking you through a story. It's one thing to, I think, tell the story of somebody's life. And I think many more people can do that than have a more special ability to kind of give you the pieces of information and the pieces of emotional trajectory that you need right at the right time. And I think with Street Fight and Long Night's Journey in the Day and The Crash Reel, they're all very special in that the structure of the film is so important to taking you on this journey, which ultimately lets you get to know this person and their battle that they're in, but also respects you as a thinking, engaged viewer. And I think we, we really love that and have a great deal of respect for that. Yeah, and I think the other thing that they have in common and maybe also have in common with Athlete A, along with kind of a deep structural consideration, which we spend a lot of time on in Athlete A, is that the conflicts that they're in, there's a really uncomfortable space that you get to with the characters in these films. And they share a truth and reconciliation moment. But to get there and to get to that point, you have to really wade through the kind of depths of what's difficult about humanity and what's difficult about the way that we speak to each other and the way that we respect or disrespect each other and misunderstanding and fear and everything that comes with that to get to that other place. And not only does that make for great drama and narrative, but it is when done well, it sort of really gets at the heart of who we are. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's also interesting just to me that all your picks seem to have been released or made in the past couple of decades. And I wanted to know if you thought documentary as a medium has changed in some way in the past 20 or so years, and if you feel like this era of filmmaking is particularly exciting. I think to answer your question, I think documentary has experienced an incredible renaissance recently. I think for one thing, the business of documentary, I think people have realized that there's a much broader audience for these films than previously thought. When we were coming up and learning how to make documentaries, I think the audience was thought to be fairly narrow. 
And it's just gotten so wide. And I think because of that, filmmakers have been inspired to stretch their imagination about the creative aspect of documentaries as well. Plus, I think on top of that, there's like a recognition of the quest for truth that can come through documentary as there's been more of an assault on journalism and what facts are and what's being put forward as truth. There's a lot of work that filmmakers can do to deepen the stories around the truth. You know, I think audiences have come to rely on documentaries more as a place to go for understanding the depth of truth. In Athlete A, of course, we stand on the shoulders of investigative reporters who came before us and did this incredible journalistic work. And we loved that collaboration because there was an opportunity to really highlight the work they had done in seeking the truth and then bring this other medium to light where that could be understood better and they could be seen working. And I think there's something to that, that kind of turning the lens on reporting and journalism and the coming together of our two mediums has been a really big part, I think, of the last 20 years of documentary filmmaking. So with that in mind, I'd like to go to your first pick, which is Long Night's Journey Into Day. Do you remember the first time you saw this film and what your impression of it was? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, just to say the film is made by two heroes of ours in the San Francisco Bay Area, Deborah Hoffman and Francis Reed, who Debbie Hoffman was an editor of many films that we're huge fans of, including the times of Harvey Milk. And John ended up assistant editing for Debbie when he first came into film. And the two of them are just, they're master craftsmen. So when we settled in to watch and from frame one with these two, you're in just tremendous hands. And I believe we were in the Castro theater and the beginning of the film It starts with the story of this Stanford student who is killed in South Africa. So immediately there was this kind of local tie-in to this story. And then you're sort of transported to South Africa and, and apartheid and the attempts at truth and reconciliation that were put in place there to try and bring together the families of those that were killed and those that did the killings. And... It was just so striking, as John said earlier, just when you sit down and you start to watch a film and in the first frames, you immediately feel like you're in good storytelling hands. You might not understand everywhere that the story is going to eventually go, but you're on the journey, you're in it for the ride because you just know that you're in the hands of master craftsmen. And that's how we felt. The discomfort that they get into in this film is really striking. It stays with me to this day when I start to kind of try and conjure images from the film as we're sitting here talking, I get uncomfortable again because the confrontations are so real and so dramatic between good and evil and trying to work that out amongst real people. So yeah, it had a huge impact on me and I think on both of us in terms of just our humanity and how we want to live our lives and what's important to us, but really on our filmmaking and something to aspire to. The other thing that has to be said about that film is that it does all this stuff that Bonnie's talking about. In some ways, there's a lot of traditional craft in it. You know, interviews, archival footage, some verite filmmaking, you know, really amazing access. Just like the kinds of things that are sort of the nuts and bolts of documentary done really well, all done kind of at the high level. But the editing of it, the structure of it, it's a film for people who haven't seen it that's told in four discrete stories, which is really almost kind of like a arty experimental film type structure. 
And yet it reached the highest heights. It was nominated for an Academy Award. It was widely seen, deeply respected, I think had a deep impact on certainly my understanding, I think if not the greater world's understanding of what happened in South Africa after apartheid fell. So it was dealing with like really meaty issues, but the boldness of Mm -hmm. those filmmakers and Debbie Hoffman is also known for just as a genius editor who used to edit incredible films to boldly structure a film like that with the confidence that it has stayed with us and has, I think always, (laughs) it's almost always part of the conversation when we're kind of in the structural phase of editing our films. Like, well, Debbie and Francis made a bold move and it was successful. Maybe we can figure out a way to, to be bold in our own way. That's and, actually and, a great point because during Athlete A, we had to be incredibly bold about the structure because it wasn't obvious. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. They always come back into the edit room and give us some courage to try some new things. And ultimately what that structure does is it really respects the audience. It kind of drops a story on the audience, then it switches gear, drops another one, and does it two more times. And by the end, you're just like, oh my God, like kind of a steady drumbeat of drama. And then by the end, you're just kind of in tears and your eyes are open about the story and, and the kind of the truth behind it and the depth of humanity behind it. It does all the things a film is supposed to do, but really in a way that kind of lets the audience get there on their own. And that's always been inspiring to us. The film is so it is both harrowing and also inspiring, as you're saying, and it focuses on some of the cases that emerge from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's pursuit of justice in South Africa after apartheid. It actually made me think about Athlete A and how you honed in on a handful of stories that offer insight into a much larger struggle. Can you talk about that process of choosing who to focus on and also what part of the story to include and how the structure kind of grew from there? We knew we wanted to include the Indianapolis Star reporters because we knew from the get-go that that lens of journalists looking into the story would be a great framework for getting us to and from other characters that were significant to the story. So that was number one. And then as we started to get into their articles and their journalism, we gained access to how the story unfolded and just how many things had to go right in order to expose this guy and to take him down. And we started to think like, maybe that's also a really interesting premise for how we're gonna get into the film. Maybe we wanna actually tell the stories of each of these people who came forward first to the Indianapolis Star and through that, you'll get access to additional pieces of the Nasser story and the Olympic movement and all of that. And so we reached out to the three women who had first called up the India Star when they read their article about USA Gymnastics policy on how they do and don't handle sexual abuse allegations inside of their federation. And through those women, we realized that we could really sort of symbolically pass a baton to each of the people that were elemental in exposing Nasser. So those three women, they gave way to the lawyers, the lawyers gave way to the prosecutor and the investigator in Michigan. And then that got us to Maggie Nichols, who was the most contemporary gymnastics story that we had, because she obviously was in the 2016 Olympic trials, which was getting very close to when we started telling the story. Once we got to the edit, I think Bonnie just laid out all the kind of thoughts we had going into this, like, how are we going to shoot this incredibly complicated film? There's just so many different people's stories and important pieces of the puzzle. And that, and also the historical context. Right. The historical piece and who's going to represent that and tell that story. 
But when we got to the editing, I, I have to say we were kind of stumped. We put an assembly together that was three and a half hours long and we looked at it and there was a lot of very compelling storytelling in there, but we were really <laughs> kind of stumped about how to structure the story. And that was kind of that moment where we go back and and think about films like Long Night's Journey, because it was kind of obvious to us that we were going to need to do something other than just kind of tell it chronologically. It just wasn't going to work that way. So the Maggie story was, I think, probably our biggest breakthrough. We called them Maggie pods. <laughs> Let's tell a piece of Maggie's story and sort of drop that on the audience. And so that you know what you need to know from her story in order to start learning about the other elements. And then eventually they kind of come together. So slowly but surely, we sort of got the confidence that we didn't necessarily have to hold the audience's hand at every stage, that we can kind of drop things, let it kind of sit there and maybe even have a little confusion about what's going on, move on to another piece of the story and then come back and then have it all come together later was sort of a breakthrough for us that we could do that kind of thing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We did know that we wanted the story to be in the voice of the survivors. That was incredibly important to us. We didn't really have any agenda around that. Obviously, you can't with survivors. There's a very particular way in which it is not only the right thing to do, but the respectful thing to try and, you know, have them feel their way through what they want to tell of their story. And we feel like we really got there by the end. And that's a guiding principle that we don't have that much control over. That's sort of an interesting place to be as a filmmaker, where you're in the hands of these stories that need to play out the way they need to play out. And you just have to rely on what you're going to do with them afterwards and do justice to them. But that was an incredibly important way of working for us as we made the film. And so speaking of the, not only the complex structure of the film you had to undertake, there's also very complicated ideas in the film as well around reconciliation and healing. And this is both for Long Night's Journey and Today and for Athlete A. And in Athlete A, you go beyond the investigation to explore what it might look like to reconcile a traumatic past. And can you talk a bit about why that was an important aspect of the story in Athlete A? You know, 
one of the epiphanies we had with Audrey and Daisy, which is a film we made prior to Athlete A about high school girls who had been assaulted by boys in their high school was that you have to be really careful when you're talking to survivors about kind of re-traumatization and triggering. And the last thing you want to do is hurt people again who've been through a trauma. We kind of realized that there was another side of that coin, which is that people do want to tell their story when they're believed. And, the, and there is healing in that. And I think that that's certainly going on in long a night's journey that in a way these stories are answers to the question like what can you do to find justice in a situation where the courts don't really provide justice or the police can't really provide justice you know it, it where there's some kind of deeper need to get to a place of understanding either with a perpetrator or just kind of with the systemic problem that exists and Obviously, we're seeing that now in spades on the streets of our country. There's just this sublimely amazing thing going on where people are coming out and speaking their truth, and often they're being believed, and there's power in that. And in both these films, we're proud that Athlete A does this, but we are certainly kind of just fans of the way it's done in Long Night's Journey that, you know, hear examples of people just kind of speaking their truth to others who are just there to listen and and believe them. And there's power in that. And I think that was an epiphany for Bonnie and me that just by kind of bearing witness, going to Rachel Den Hollander or Jessica Howard or Maggie Nichols, Jamie Dancher and saying, look, we're here at some basic level just to listen to your story and try to understand what you've been through. And so if it's okay, I'd like to move on to the second pick, which is Street Fight. John, can you describe what the film's about and why it's such a significant piece for you? Well, for people who haven't seen it, uh, Street Fight, it was directed by Marshall Curry, and it is an early portrait of Cory Booker, who is now one of the senators from New Jersey. He was a Democratic candidate for president this year during the primary and kind of political hero, I think, to a lot of Americans. He's got an incredible personal story. And early in his career, he decided that he would run for mayor of Newark, New Jersey. He was a young, I don't know how old he was at the time, maybe he was in his early 30s, something like that. And he was a neophyte to the political scene. And Marshall got just no holds barred access to Corey, both his personal life and certainly his campaign. And the film is just like a heart racing cinema verite, bare knuckle political battle between Corey and this longtime seemingly corrupt mayor of Newark. And ultimately, Corey wins. <laughs> and so it's got this kind of incredible hero's journey type aspect of it when it came out. But Bonnie and I are big fans of political documentaries. We love The War Room and other films like that. And of course, we love observational filmmaking. And this was just a great example of that. And so watching this specific film, did it make you think more deeply about the role of the filmmaker in the action and how events seem to unravel? Did it really push you to really reconsider like the filmmaker in that context or your role as a filmmaker in that context? Yeah. I mean, I watch John work all the time and we confer a lot about what scenes to cover and how far to push and when it makes sense to leave the room versus stay in the room because the impulse is always to stay as a filmmaker, but sometimes for the greater good of the longevity of the relationship, it makes sense to leave. So those kinds of considerations, those ethical considerations are constantly on the table in our conversations. What we really relate to in Street Fight is you can feel Marshall's ethics 
in the filmmaking. You can feel those decisions that he made all the way through and where he pushed and where he didn't. And of course, you can't know it entirely because it's edited. But when the overall film gives you a sense that the filmmaker was ethically responsible to the subject of the film and the way in which the approach went down all throughout the filmmaking, there's a different consideration for you as a viewer, at least for us. And we carry that with us when we when we work. Yeah, I think a big part of it is also the magic of documentaries is that those are real people on the other side of the screen that you're looking at. And as a documentarian, you're there to figure out a dramatic arc and a story to tell. But at some basic level, you're there to convey a humanity. And some of the vivid images I have from Street Fight, and I haven't seen it in years, are, you know, Corey in his kitchen or working out or, you know, yeah. you, you really feel like you got to know this guy. You're kind of and, living with And them. you identified with them. And, you know, everybody can identify with getting up and having breakfast and having to take care of your body and then having to take on the task that you've chosen to take on in life. And I think that we make those have to make those decisions all the time. And of course, even in athlete A with the reporters, for example, how much were we going to humanize them and how much space do we have to do that in the context of a film that has a giant cast? I mean, this is a, a film that has so many different interviews. So of course, we think about those things all the time. And then you can't help but to have deep respect for people who found that balance and know when to push to get the camera in places that cameras don't normally go. And when the balance is right, it, it's really a, a special thing. And I think audiences realize that sometimes without even being able to articulate it. I mean, it's one of those films that once you're in it, you are in it from beginning to end. You're like, you're with him. You're in the car. You're in the campaign office. You're in these sort of like crowds of people, even when, you know, the incumbent is also kind of like buzzing around. And so I wanted to actually talk about the sort of moment in history that Street Fight follows, which is this, you know, it's pretty niche. It's a mayoral election in Newark, New Jersey. But there is this wider context of thinking about local politics and how that can sort of like dissolve into some pretty underhanded actions and that tension with the democratic ideals of running for office. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you build out the story for Athlete A? Because it also is a personal story, but it also is in this wider context of like the mistreatment of athletes. And there's not just the actions of Larry Nassar, there's also the larger sort of harsh culture that these young women are often embroiled in through training for the Olympics and all these other competitions. You know, it's not just a handful of girls who come into contact with Larry Nassar, that there's this larger context that you're thinking about. Just a street fight isn't about just one election. So can you talk about building out that not only just focusing on Larry Nasser's actions and the abuse he perpetrated and there's just this larger culture. How'd you draw people in? And was that a consideration you had? I mean, it's interesting that you bring up local politics because in a way, the story of USA Gymnastics in our film is kind of a local political story for the Indianapolis Star reporters. They've got USA Gymnastics right there in their town. Indianapolis is a sports town. Everyone there lives and breathes NCAA and the Olympic movement and all these different sports affiliations. And it's big money for the city. It's important to the city. And so you have to think twice before, as an investigative reporter, you start to bring that down to the ground. And so exposing that corruption was no small thing for them. But, you know, interestingly, 
broadening the Nasser story out into the USA Gymnastics story, out into the Olympic movement story, out into all of the national gyms around our country story. That was the kind of peeling back of the onion that made this film really interesting to us. We didn't want to make a film about just one bad guy. I mean, of course, he's a terrible, horrible pedophile that needed to go to prison and he did, but it doesn't stop there. You know, he's a symbol of a blind eye that was turned towards the health and safety of these women and girls in the small towns, in the nation more largely, and in the Olympic movement. So we were thinking about that constantly, about those ripple effects that breathe through from the individual all the way to the group and then to the organizations. And we thought about it in every frame of the film, from the context that we give decades earlier than the Nasser story, what was going on in coaching, the abuses inside of coaching, also was imported from Eastern Europe, although was living and breathing here even before then, the weight that the Olympic movement and the gyms around the country put on just money and medals over the safety of girls and women. Those are the kinds of pieces of the institutional structural abuses that become the essence of the film and the importance of the film for us. Thinking about having this very intimate journey with particularly an athlete, I actually want to go to the final pick, which is the crash reel. Bonnie, can you tell us what the film's about and why you chose it for today's conversation? The crash reel was directed by Lucy Walker, edited by Pedro Koss. And it is the story of Kevin Pierce, who was a promising snowboarder on his way to Olympic greatness when he had a terrible accident training in Park City, Utah, that included a traumatic brain injury. And the film really spends most of its time with Kevin as he's on his path to recovery, trying to become a world-class athlete again, and sort of the, the way in which he needs to reconcile his expectations for what he can and can't do once he's been injured. And it's a beautiful story of his reclaiming an identity for himself, but also this is a very strong and wonderful family that rallies around him and the just upset against the sometimes caustic and very competitive, unforgiving world of the uh, Olympic sport movement. So that's the film. It's beautifully told. It's beautifully edited. It goes deep into the heart of this character and his Olympic dreams that have been somewhat crushed and what he does to tell himself and actually do to come back from that and, and what a person can become once they reconcile with that. Obviously, the the very literal reason we chose it was that there are some echoes of that in Maggie Nichols' character in Athlete A, as she was the first to report Larry Nasser to USA Gymnastics not 10 months before Olympic trials in 2016 and was an Olympic hopeful and does not make the team some believe because of her reporting Larry Nasser. So, and then the film, our film goes on to dive into her reconciliation and how she kind of rises from the ashes of her own story to become one of the most successful NCAA athletes of all time. And John, thinking about the crash reel, uh, what is your take on what is so resonant about the film for you and your work? I think that what is the expression like you can plan all you want in life, but life laughs at your plans, you know, and, and you never know what's going to happen here. You have, 
Kevin Pierce, who, you know, from a very young age is super passionate and just really into snowboarding and his greatness is undeniable. You see this amazing footage that Lucy had access to as he's coming up as a, as a young snowboarder. And it's so fun to watch. And he's so, I think one of the reasons we watch great athletes is it kind of reminds us of the potential of what humans can do. It's so inspiring to think, oh, wow, it's just incredible that a person can be capable of doing that. And Kevin had that kind of just incredible, inspiring quality. Then he's injured. And then he has to, in this very poignant way, become very good at something totally different that he wasn't at all prepared for, that he had no plans for. And when the same with the family, like this warm family had to become kind of had to put their plans aside for Kevin and like figure out a completely new plan. And they kind of excel at that, at that new life that they build for themselves. And that I think was really inspiring to us. These athletes that were abused by Nasser, the last thing they thought was going to happen when they got into gymnastics was that they would be abused by a doctor who was really supposed to be there to help them, you know? And yet when that happened, these women stood up and they became great at something else other than gymnastics. They became great seekers of justice and storytellers and truth tellers and fighters. And that helps all of us. That inspires all of us in a way that was completely surprising to them. I think that that's such an interesting way to look at documentary specifically, whether it's physical or emotional trauma, being able to document, but also like take viewers through those journeys that people are on. And I think that not only with the three films you've discussed, but also with Athlete A, I think you've done such a wonderful job of articulating the struggle and like what can be on the other side. Bonnie and John, thank you so much for joining us on the Doc Exchange. It's really been a pleasure to talk with you today. It's been so fun. Julia, really. your questions are amazing. Thank you so much for your sensitivity in viewing Athlete A, but also these other films. We really appreciate you making the connections. It, it certainly is making light bulbs go off in our minds. That's all for this week's show. The Doc Exchange, a Real Stories podcast, is a Little Dot Studios production in partnership with the Grierson Trust. I'm your host, June Jennings. The Doc Exchange is produced by Nicole Davis and Annie Hughes. Our executive producer is Paul Wolf. Our music is by Dusty Dex and sourced through Epidemic Sound. We're edited by Content is Queen. And our artwork is by Nash Kasich. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. If you want to watch even more great documentaries, join us at Real Stories on YouTube, Amazon, Facebook, and other platforms. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.